And Father, that statement right there changes everything. That you are Jesus, Son of God. And all that that means and all that that entails and the authority that is encompassed in that name. The authority over all heaven, all earth, for all time. The one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. What an awesome name that is. What a beautiful name that is. What a powerful name that is. What a majestic name that is. And oh God, I pray that we would take the proper posture of reverence before you right now because of that. Lord, that we would not enter into your presence flippantly, half-heartedly. Father, I pray whatever distractions have gone on this week, that, Lord, we could lay those at the foot of the cross right now and be attentive to your words and incline our ear to your sayings, Lord, not letting them escape from our sight, but keeping them within our heart, for we know your words and only your words are life to those who find them and are healing for their flesh. And so, God, I pray for that today, life and healing today. Sanctify us in your truth, O God, because your word is truth. Father, be with my mouth right now. Let every word that is uttered not be of me. Lord, I have nothing to say, but be of you from your spirit. Carry me by your spirit, I pray. I pray we'd come under your word now in the authority of it with humble hearts and teachable hearts, and you would convict and refresh and strengthen and save and sanctify your people today. Father, would you do this? Let our pride not get in the way. Let us lay that down, for you oppose the proud, but you will give grace to the humble. So find a humble body here now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, praise the Lord, church. Today is a very exciting Sunday as we kick off a new series. We just finished our Easter series called Reconciled, and it is so amazing to hear of the work of the Lord in the people of God um, as his word goes forth. And that has been such an encouragement for our church, and we expect nothing less as we launch into this new series called uh, Towards the Goal, God's Glory in the Life of the Believer. This is a four-part series, Towards the Goal, God's glory in the life of the believer. And some of you may be asking, well, what's the goal? What's the goal all about? Well, we'll be getting to that, so hang on. It's going to be building over the next four weeks, and we specifically are walking through Philippians chapter 3 for these next four weeks. And you'll see at Harvest, we preach expositionally, where we go verse by verse, word by word, through a text. Okay, And so most of the time we'll do that through an entire book, but for the next four weeks we're going to do it through all of chapter 3 of Philippians. So I encourage you to be praying through that, reading through that expectantly each week, and having your heart stirred in advance for it. And if you do not have a Bible, we're very big on the Bible in this church. And so if you do not have a Bible in front of you, I'd like you to put your hand up right now so that our ushers can come forward and put one in your hand so that you can continue to follow along with us. So put it up nice and high, nice and high, and we want to make sure that you get a Bible in front of you. And if you do not have a Bible at home, we want to make sure that you have one and that's a free gift to you so that you can continue to study on your own time at home. Philippians chapter 3, today we're looking at verses 1 to 11, and the title of this morning's message is, Our Greatest Gain. 
When we talk about God's glory in the life of the believer, we talk about pressing on towards the goal. It has to start right here. It has to start right here. Is what is our greatest gain that we are pursuing? What is the greatest gain that we are pressing towards? And I have a question for you in relation to that. And it is this. Would you agree, loved ones, would you agree that we live in a society absolutely obsessed in the pursuit of gain? We live in a society, would you agree with that statement? Think about it. We live in a society that is absolutely obsessed in the pursuit of gain. For example, you'll see some pictures on the screen to help you. Maybe it's money. You know, Rockefeller was asked once, he said, how much money is enough? He was asked, one of the richest men in the United States, he said, a little bit more. How much is enough, loved ones? The pursuit of gain, if I just had some more. Or how about this? What about this? What about this next one here? Your grades. Hey, students, we've got a lot of students here. Praise the Lord. Love it. What's your greatest gain? Is it getting the A plus on the exam? Is it getting a higher average in the course? Is that what we're pursuing? Is that what we're burning the candle at both ends? Psalm 127 speaks to that. It says, in vain you stay up late and rise up early. The Lord gives rest to those he loves. How about this? How about this next one you see here? Success. Accomplishing the dreams or goals. You hear a lot of it these days. Accomplish your dreams. Go for your goals. I mean, I'm not against having goals, but anything out of place, out of a godly order, becomes an obsession. What about success? Climb the next rung of the corporate ladder. You see that guy there? He's just trying to reach it. Will I finally get to that next level? What is success? What does that even look like? How about this next one here? You'll see here. What about marriage? For our singles. We've got a lot of singles in this church. Praise the Lord. What about marriage? Are we obsessed with the gain of a spouse? Or are we content to see God's glory manifested in our lives through singleness? Obsession. Gain, gain, gain. Got to get a spouse. That's the next stage. And then what? Then what? Then kids. And if I can't get kids. And then, and then what? The house. And Where does it end? Where does it end? Or how about this one? You see here, stuff, possessions. See, isn't it obvious that we live in a world that thinks having more or doing more things in this life brings us the confidence, the security, the satisfaction, the peace, the comfort and fulfillment that we need? Isn't it obvious? Just look around us. This is just about a sample. But the truth of the matter is, loved ones, that's a lie. That is a complete lie. And my question is this, are you living in that? Am I? It happens so subtly. Are you living in that lie? Am I? And would you know it if you were? Would you know it? Well, by God's grace today, Lord willing, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we'll see. And here in Philippians 3, Paul recognizes this relentless drive and desire for gain that is hardwired in each of us. And he confronts us with the reality of the greatest gain that we could ever have in our lives. And what is it, you ask? What's the greatest gain? What's the greatest gain, you ask? Well, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you what it's not. It's not something that can be found on a store shelf. 
It's not something that will be found on the corporate ladder or in anything that we could ever accomplish, the dreams, the goals, the visions we could ever accomplish on our own. What is it, you ask? Here it is. It is the gain of the one that will, of the one that will bring us the security, confidence, satisfaction, peace, and fulfillment that we are so desperately looking for in this life. What is it, you ask? It is the gaining of Jesus Christ in our lives. Nothing else comes close. He's it. And he's all we need. And there are two conditions you must continually embrace if you are to gain Christ and to press on towards the goal of his glory in your life. And point one is this. First off, first thing we must embrace, we must embrace the loss and put off the confidence in yourself. Embrace the loss and put off the confidence in yourself. We're going to go through verses 1 to 6. Let's start at verses 1 to 2. Finally, Philippians chapter 3, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Paul writing to the church in Philippi, he says, Look out. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. See, Paul is writing here to warn the church at Philippi again. Notice he says there, again, I write the same things to you. And he's writing about the false teachers or the Judaizers, they were called, who were teaching that along with faith in Jesus Christ, you still needed to be circumcised if you were going to be saved. Okay? Along with faith in Christ plus circumcision secures your salvation. Now, some of you may be saying, well, what's... What's circumcision? What's that all about? Well, in the Old Testament, in the mark of the people of God, the people of Israel, was given when the foreskin of a young man was cut off on the eighth day of his life. And now, Paul writes over and over to the church to watch out. Watch out for these false teachers who taught this. Notice how many times does he say, look out, in verse 2. Circle them. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Three times. Why? Why does he emphasize this? Because they honestly believe, these false teachers honestly believe that they were true servants of Christ. But were teaching an evil and false gospel within the church. And in essence, if we could break down their teaching, it would sound like this. God's grace, giving us what we don't deserve, plus human effort, in this case circumcision, equals salvation security. Your salvation secure. You've got the grace of God plus circumcision. And now you're secure. Okay? God's grace. God giving us what we don't deserve. And in this case, what they were, what was rivaling the grace of God in their lives is they didn't believe that God's grace was the opportunity for salvation through Jesus Christ alone, by faith. They didn't think it was enough. And notice what happens. Notice where Paul says at the end of verse 2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, and look out for those who mutilate the flesh. That's strong language, isn't it? Isn't that strong language? Mutilate the flesh. What's, what's he talking about there? Well, Paul describes the Judaizers this way because by Jesus Christ coming to earth as fully God and fully man and dying on the cross to pay the full penalty for our sin, the practice of circumcision, what, in order to secure our salvation, became nothing more than a mutilation of the flesh that was completely unnecessary. Jesus' work on the cross, as we just so beautifully sang, Jesus' work on the cross was finished. It was finished. It was complete. He needs nothing added to it. Mutilate the flesh. Don't we see that? 
And we see that in the culture today. People striving. But notice what Paul says in verse 3. He goes on to say, For we, that is the believers, followers of Jesus Christ, are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. See, Paul states here that because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and the salvation that we have in him alone, all those, everyone say all those, all those who put their faith in him as their Lord and Savior, we receive a circumcision or a change of heart, not of the foreskin, of the heart now, that is a sign that they've passed from spiritual death to spiritual life. You're going to see testimony after testimony of that next week. That's why you got to get here next week. Okay, they've passed from spiritual death to spiritual life and have been cleansed of their sin by the blood of Christ and united with him. And notice at the back half of three, he says, we glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. The confidence that Paul speaks of here, ready, is man's own ability or achievements apart from God that he thinks will help him earn favor with God or even be the source of his salvation. Can't we so easily put confidence in our flesh? This isn't like a, we'll do this, this starts when you hit adulthood. No, 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 I'll show you when it starts. You can see a picture here of these four men of the Kaprowski family. For those of you who don't know, these are my four children. Guy in the red shirt is Isaac, little man like this. That's Caleb. And then we've got Micah next to him and then, and then Samuel on the end. Okay, and so there they are. And this whole thing about confidence in the flesh, this just isn't an Old Testament problem here. Old Testament danger. Look around us. It's probably happening in this very room right now, and it starts at birth. People trying to earn their salvation and gain security of it through their good works. You see, my boys here, it hit me this week again. They want the security and love of their father, me, so bad that they feel as though they have to earn more of it so that I will love them more and think more highly of them. Parents, do you ever see this? Do you ever see this? Hey, Dad, when I come home, I was the fastest in my class today. Just waiting to hear the affirmation, the, the earning of grace. The earn- I was the fastest of the class today. You know, uh, I helped mommy the most today. I helped mom the most today. But uh, <clears throat> you might not want to ask Micah about what he did. Because he did that, I didn't. He did. It sound familiar? They're trying to earn this favor. Like somehow I'm going to look upon them with greater, wow, you're awesome, man. You didn't do that and your brothers did? They're trying to earn it, earn it, earn it by their deeds so they can show how much better they are. But you know what? We can chuckle about that, but they do all these things to try to secure daddy's love for them. But here's the reality. Here's the reality I was hit with again this week. They already have all of it that I am humanly possible of giving to them. Why? Not because of what they do, but because they're my sons, and that's enough. I don't love them more if they get the A plus on the test. 
They're my sons. They're my children. And it, and it grieves me to see them feel the need to do this. And it is, is it not the same in our relationship with our Heavenly Father? So much. How about you? How about me? What is rivaling the perfect, saving grace of God in your life through Jesus Christ? Because you're putting confidence in yourself and your ability to gain that or to add to what Christ has already done. Working hard, praying the prayers. If I just do this really well, then I'll earn more favor with God and he'll love me more and I'll be at the place where, okay, yeah, now you're worth saving. That's such a lie. And you may be be here saying, well, Ray, that's not me. I don't do that stuff. I know I'm saved in Jesus Christ and and through faith. Careful, 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 loved ones. This can happen so subtly and so deceptively. And here in verses four to six, we're about to see, Paul gives us four ways that we can easily begin to put confidence in ourselves and fall into the same trap of trying to gain Christ through our own efforts. Here it is, four ways you put confidence in yourself. You'll see them on the slide up here. Number one is this, uh, your rituals. Your rituals, look at verses four in the first part of five. Though I myself, this is Paul talking, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul's like saying, I have crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's. If there's anyone who could have earned their salvation, it's me. And let me tell you how. And now he's growing in, going into this. First one, he says this, verse five. I was circumcised on the eighth day. You see what happened there? Paul's parents had kept the tradition of him being circumcised on the eighth day, being marked as a person, as a, as a person of God in the Jewish culture. And maybe here this morning, you're putting your confidence in the fact, not in circumcision, but you're putting confidence in the fact that you're going to church every Sunday morning. Well, I'm just going to church. If I just go to church enough time, God's got to look down on me and be like, man, you came to church like every Sunday, but you never put your faith in me alone as your savior. Or some of us, Christians and non-Christians do this all the time. Even as Christians, we think, I gotta be, I gotta be, you know, in my Bible reading 20 chapters every day, memorizing 50 verses a week, and think like, says who? Not God. And we go through these, we go through these rituals Maybe some of us here, we talk, about, we talk about baptism next week. Maybe some of us are putting faith that we were baptized as infants, that it's going to save us. It won't. Only a personal faith in Jesus Christ can do that. Baptism, as you'll see next week, is an expression, a public declaration of the faith we've already put in Jesus Christ. But we've gone through the ritual and we think we're good. And you're doing all these things, but you've never made a personal decision to follow Jesus Christ. Or if you have, you're thinking that somehow by your good attendance, God is going to have more favor towards you. So in essence, what you're saying is this. If we could break all that down, you'd say, Jesus and my infant baptism saves me. 
Jesus and my ability to memorize 30 verses a week saves me. Jesus and what is it for you? Four ways we put confidence in the flesh. Number one, our rituals. Number two is this, Paul says, your family heritage. Your family heritage. Look at verses five again. So Paul says, circumcised on the eighth day, and here it is, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. See, Paul states that he was born Jewish. I was born as one of God's people. I didn't have to. I was born right into this family. I was born into it. And you know, that's what he goes on to say. I was the people of Israel. I was the tribe of Benjamin. And you may be saying, here, what's so special about the tribe of Benjamin? Well, this was considered the elite tribe in Israel. Why? Because Israel's first king came from Benjamin. And so they think they were the elite tribe. So not only was I born to God's people, I'm part of the elite group of God's people. And notice what he says. He sums it up. I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. I got this covered. And maybe you're here today saying, I grew up in the church. I grew up in the church. My parents are Christians, and I know they're praying for me, so that's got to count for something. I've got a family heritage of faith. Well, listen, the faith that has not changed you is the faith that has not saved you. The faith of your parents cannot save you, loved ones. It's a personal decision that you need to make. Jesus and my family heritage, Jesus and the prayers of my parents secure my salvation. It's a lie. Four ways we put confidence in the flesh. Number one, our rituals. Number two, our family heritage. Number three, uh, your rule keeping. Rule keeping. Look at the last half of verse 5. So much loaded in this verse. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Here it is. As to the law, a Pharisee. A Pharisee. See, Paul, here's the thing with the law, as Paul being a Pharisee. Paul kept all of the proper, quote-unquote, works that gave the impression that on the outside, he was a man of God. He could say all the right things. He could dress the right way. He did all the right things. He ate all the right things. He rested all the right ways. But inside, his heart was far from God. He was living a good and moral life. But his heart was far from God. And maybe you're here today, and and your focus, and I got to fight this, my focus is on uh, doing the right things that you think will help you gain favor with God. Not stealing. Well, I don't steal, and God's got to look on that. I'm going to be nice to people. I take the service opportunities and go help my neighbors. Those are good things, loved ones. They really are, but they don't buy your salvation. Personal faith in Jesus Christ alone. I'm saying all the right words. I'm memorizing all the verses. I'm taking up all the service opportunities around They've got to help me earn salvation and greater favor with God. In essence, we could sum that up. We'd say, Jesus and my service secures my salvation. Jesus and my moral life secures my salvation. It's not true. Four ways we put confidence in ourselves. Number one, 
through our rituals. Number two, through our family heritage. Number three, through our, our rule keeping. And lastly is this, uh, your hard work and success. This flows right out of number three. Your hard work and success. Look at verse six. Paul goes on to say, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You see, Paul worked with greater passion, zeal, and commitment than anyone else around him to serve God by killing all the Christians he could find or throwing them into prison in order to shut down their churches. Right? And again, this is another one that I struggle with. So I don't know if you notice, some people have this idea that I'm like a passionate guy or something. Okay, who knew? But I got to be careful of this. Right? With your zeal. Listen, passion, one commentator put it, puts it this way. Salvation never comes through passion. You can work hard and work hard and work hard and do the right things. And maybe you're here this morning and this is you. You're thinking that working more or working harder will help you gain more of God, his pleasure and his favor. And, and if essence, if we could sum this up, it would be Jesus and my striving harder to be better at things and accomplish my goals secures my salvation. Mm -mm. as to zeal persecutor of the church righteousness blameless under the law doing all the right things working hard and loved ones I have to quantify that with this don't get me wrong it's good to work hard we're called to work with excellence and our Lord let's face it I think he deserves it we're called to work with excellence but as George Mueller stated, work with all your might, but trust not in the least in your work. Work with all your might. Work with excellence. Work with zeal. Yes, we're called to work that way. However, trust not in the least in your own work. It's a question as we end this part. Which one of these are you in? Maybe more than one. Maybe more than one. I mean, if we're being honest with ourselves, loved ones, all of us here will fit into at least one of these areas at times. All of us will. And each one of these righteous deeds is a barrier in our lives to gaining Christ if they are what we are relying on. Why? Because they are rivaling God's perfect grace for you. They're rivaling it. What's rivaling God's grace in your life? And you say, well, wait a second, good works, all this stuff. They gotta cover something. Well, let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about that. Don't take my word for it, okay? Isaiah 64, 6, you'll see it on the screen. We have all become like one who is unclean. That's us without a savior. And all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. All of the good that we think we can accomplish to earn or secure favor or salvation with the it's a polluted garment because they rival God's grace in your life when you start to rely on them and the finished work of salvation in Jesus Christ alone is the answer to all of these things that we try to pursue and put our confidence in i love i love how john macarthur says this so pointedly so clearly he says this christ is christianity so, profound truth. Christ is Christianity, and he is all there is to offer because he is all that we need. He is all that there is to offer because he's all that we need.
He is Christianity. And to gain Christ in your life, you must embrace the loss and put off the confidence in yourself. And as we seek to gain Christ by embracing the loss of ourselves, we must also embrace the gain. So we embrace the loss, we put off the confidence in our ability to earn or to save ourselves. And here's what we do, though. We embrace the gain, and we put on or replace that with the knowledge of Christ. Look at verses 7 and 8. Love this. Look at verses 7 and 8. But whatever gain I had, Paul goes on to say, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. Oh, loved ones, underline this. Such a key text for this series. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Look at verse, look at this verses where Paul states that literally everything we gain, everything we gain, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 7. Everything we gain that is not Christ in this life is, this is going to hurt a little bit, meaningless. That word rubbish there, the Greek word for rubbish actually means dung or manure. Everything we work so hard, those pictures you saw in the beginning, the spouse, the grades, the jobs, the stuff, all of that, that isn't gaining Jesus Christ is rubbish. How does that impact your bank statement? How does that impact how you spend your entertainment time? How does that impact your parenting? Your mi- I was very convicted by that this week. And all of Paul's previous credentials, his ability to excel at the top rung of the most successful and prestigious organizations in society, the Pharisees, it meant nothing for his ability to have salvation through Jesus Christ. meant nothing. And notice there in verse 8 where he goes on to say, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of, circle that word, knowing. Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The Greek word for knowing there, ready? It's called gnosis, okay? G-N-O-S-I-S, gnosis. And this is not just some personal head knowledge, okay? Like, I know about Jesus. I know about God. I know, I'm learning, I'm reading books. I'm knowing all this stuff. The, the knowledge that Paul's talking about here means having an intimate and personal knowledge of someone that comes from sharing a life with them. It comes from sharing. It goes way beyond head knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And the closest picture we get to this in this world, in human relationships, is through marriage, Marriage is designed to be a picture of this, right? And I have, I have had the privilege of sharing my l- life with my wife, Natalie, for the last nine years. And I got to tell you, she knows the most personal things about me. I have to say that. It's just like she still loves me anyway. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but she knows. She shares a life with me. And in essence, what Paul is saying here is that the greatest worth, loved ones, hear this today, this sets the tone for the whole series. The greatest worth that we can ever have in our lives is to share the life of Jesus Christ and make it our own. 
make it our own. In belief and practice. And you say, well, what do you mean? All that stuff? What, I'm, I'm racing for all this stuff. What do you mean? It's, I, give away, I, I turn away from that stuff as my priority goal and I race towards Christ. What's going to happen? All this other stuff that the world says I need to pursue. Hey, hey, I'll take you to the words of Jim Elliott right here, missionary Jim Elliott. You'll see it on the screen. It says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Salvation in Jesus Christ. We can't keep, we cannot keep anything that we are pursuing in this life if it is not Jesus Christ. He who dies with the most toys, I saw this on a t-shirt the other day. It's a good point. He who dies with the most toys, he still dies. Heaven and earth will pass away, but... God's word will remain. Who's the word? Jesus Christ. It's not foolish. It's not foolish. It's countercultural, but it ain't foolish at all. Here's what we have to understand before we enter into our last part here. It's this. Loved ones, look up here for a second. Losing all and gaining Christ is an unbelievable bargain. Losing all, all the stuff the world says to put yourself in the rat race for and exhaust yourself pursuing all these things. Losing all and gaining Christ is an unbelievable bargain. Oh Lord, help us to live lives as your followers that believe that that is true. Amen? Help us to believe that that is true, that you are our greatest prize. And so how about you? Loved ones, how about me? What gain are you embracing today? What are you going after? What's your greatest gain? What are you embracing? Are you putting on the knowledge, the shared life with Jesus Christ in belief and practice? Or are you putting on the knowledge of the world? In your marriage, with your children, in your workplace, in your classroom, in your entertainment, music you listen to? Because here's the truth, here's the truth. We are never static in this process. This isn't a static process, okay? We are always embracing one or the other. Whatever is not building you up in Christ is taking you away from him. That's the way the world's designed to work. The prince of this world will see to that. And so you say, well, I want that. What does that even look like? Like, what do I do with this now? If I'm called to embrace the gain of Jesus Christ in my life, what does this even look like? Praise the Lord, his word tells us. I don't know about you, but I'd be in big trouble if his word didn't break it down real simply, right? Here it is, four ways that we grow in knowing Christ and gaining Christ in our lives, ready? Here it is, number one, through faith. Look at verse nine, through faith, verse nine. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on, everybody say it, faith. Faith. 
See, found in him, that term found in him means at the moment of salvation. We bec- this is an amazing truth. At the moment of salvation, we become one with Christ. As our old self dies, this is what our Easter series was on. Go online and listen to the messages because this is what it's all about. Our old self dies and the new has come. A new creation that is united with him. And this in no way, loved ones, be encouraged, this in no way is based on any righteous works we could do to earn our salvation, but it is, as we've said, repeated over and over in this verse, it is found through putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone as our Savior and believing that his death on the cross paid the full penalty for your sin and made the way for your salvation in him. You say, well, that's too good to be true. What do you mean I don't have to earn? I live in a world that tells me I have to earn. If I'm going to get ahead, i got to earn for it. Well, here's the truth. Let's go back to the word. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It says, for by grace, by grace, God giving us what we don't deserve, you not being able to earn it, by grace you have been saved, what? Through faith. Through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It is the gift of God. You don't have to earn a gift, but you do need to receive it. It is the gift of God, not a result of your work, so that no one may boast and say, I earned it. I'm good enough. I worked for it. It's through faith. And maybe you're here this morning, loved ones, maybe you're here, and this is the first step you need to take in gaining Jesus Christ in your life. This is where everything starts, to come before the Lord and say, I confess that I'm a sinner before you, and I turn away from those sins. I repent of those sins. And I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. At that moment, boom, so much happens. You become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You're not a slave to sin anymore. You are brought and united with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's like, yes, welcome home. Stop striving. Enter into the joy of your salvation. At that moment. And it's offered to you today. You don't have to clean yourself up. Christ wants you right where you're at right now. Is that you this morning? I encourage you to take that step if that is. Your life will never be the same and you will never regret it. Four ways that we grow in gaining Christ in our lives. Number one, through faith. Verse nine. Number two, through his word. Look at verse 10, A and B. So 10, Paul goes on to say, that I may know him, there's that word know again, gnosis, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You see, it is through God's word. How do we get to know God? How do we know God and share his life and share the life of Jesus Christ? It is through God's word that we gain a deeper knowledge and intimacy of Christ. It is through God's word. We have to understand. Hold up your Bible for a second. Just hold up your Bible. Right here, right here. Love it. Love it. Yes, this book is alive. It is living and active, and every time it goes forth, it will bear much fruit and achieve the purpose for which it goes forward for. It is alive. Hebrews 4.12, if you don't believe me, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces bone from marrow, soul from spirit, and exposes the innermost attitudes of the heart. This is how we know Christ. We get in front of this book, and it's like a face-to-face encounter with the living God every day. Don't pass it up. Hold on to this book until it is precious to you, because you are precious to the one who wrote it. 
He loves you. He's like, come, know me. I've made a way for you to do that. And when we come and we're teachable and we're humble and we're expectant to encounter the living God in our quiet time, God will never disappoint, ever. And you maybe you're here this morning and this daily walk with God through his word has been lacking for you. You're like, I'm just not, I'm just not in the word. I can't make time and all this stuff. Listen, maybe it needs to be a focus for you moving forward. And here's why. Here's why this is so important. John MacArthur puts it this way. He says this. There's a lot of books, and I think you just go into chapters, go into chapters, you're going to see this, or any bookstore, you realize this, there are a lot of books that can change your thinking, there's a lot of books that can change your thinking, right? Convincing arguments, moving, compelling stories, there's a lot of books that can change your thinking, but there's only one that can change your nature. There's a lot of books that can change your thinking, but there's only one that can change your nature, a new creation, the old has gone and the new has come. And the truth is this, as one of my professors at Southern said, little input of God's word results in little resemblance of God's son. That's the truth. Little input of God's word results in little resemblance of God's son. And there are so many different ways to study God's word and to enjoy it. And we have gospel tracks back there for you and, and to start helping you and ask some of the people that connect us what they recommend for that. Or myself, I'd love to talk with you after to get you started. Just open the book. Four ways. Four ways we grow in gaining Christ. Number one, through faith. Number two, through his word. Number three, through suffering. Through suffering. Not many of us like to hear this part. Verse 10 again. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Here it is. And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The truth is, is that if we are to live like Christ, I guarantee this, loved ones. When you, when you devote yourself to living for Jesus Christ, you will suffer like Jesus Christ. You might not be nailed to a cross. But I will tell you this. Embracing the call of Christ, embracing Christ in your life is not embracing a call to easy street. It's not like I embrace Jesus Christ and everything works out for me. And I've got lots of money and my cars are stocked up in the driveway and I never get sick again. That's not true at all. That's a false gospel. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're in a place of suffering today, hey, loved ones, I want to encourage you with this. If you're in a place of suffering today, I want to remind you of this. He who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. Be encouraged in that today. I don't know what you're facing. I would love to pray with you after about it. But he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. Suffering, Larry Osborne said, suffering for Jesus is not a curse to endure, but it's an honor to embrace. His strength is always most clearly seen in our suffering. Always. Lastly is this, last point of the day. Four ways we grow in gaining Christ. Number one, through faith. Number two, through his word. Number three, through suffering. And finally, this one underscores everything. Here it is, through humility. Look at verse 11. Through humility we gain Christ. Verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. 
any means possible. Here Paul is stating that he is willing to do whatever it takes, whatever the cost, to do whatever God called him to so that he would gain Christ in his life even if it meant to the point of his own death, which eventually it did. He said whatever, he goes, no task is too small, no task is too great. Whatever it takes, that's humility. That's humility. And humility is the place which all these other means flow out from. But why? Why is that? Why does God place such an onus and such a call for his people to live with humility? James 4, 6, because God will oppose the proud. That word opposition means he actively works against you. He will oppose the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Not thinking less of ourselves, like, oh, I'm so bad. Like, thinking about ourselves less, though. God before me, my neighbor before me. No task is too great for the one who gave it all. And Paul can say this confidently because he knows that his death would be a great gain for him. Hey, loved ones, if you're a follower in Jesus Christ here, this world is not your home. It's not your home. You're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that will never be taken away from you. This world is not your home. And he knew that without a doubt, the moment he died, he would be in the presence of Christ for eternity at the feet of his Savior. And it was at that moment, you get this, it was at that moment that he would start to truly live for the first time. So what are you embracing as your greatest gain today? How will you respond to this? If you're here and have never trusted Christ as your Savior through faith, this is where it starts for you, right here. Don't leave here today without that. We'd have people up here to pray for you and love you and talk to you about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That can happen today. The Bible's so clear. And if you are here and the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart about areas that you are embracing after is your greatest gain that you have put in front of your pursuit of Christ and are idols in your life. Here's, here it is. Confess to him the areas that you know he's revealing to you of that. The money, the jobs, the spouse, the status, all, whatever it is for you. Confess it and embrace the love and grace that was meant for you through his blood. So what are you embracing? What is your greatest gain today? Are you embracing the lost and putting off the confidence in yourself so that you can embrace the greatest gain and put on the knowledge of Christ? Because I promise you this, loved ones, and I close with this. Worship team, you can come up. I close with this. There is coming a day, very soon, when you will regret nothing that you have lost for the sake of Jesus Christ. And it is in that moment that you and I and everyone else who's put their faith in him will stand before our Savior and say, you were worth it. All. You were worth it. Let's pray. Lord, that's just true. You are worth it. You are worth every ounce of Suffering, you are worth everything we've put off to follow you. No cost too great. 
No task too small. You are worth it. Oh Lord, thank you for this truth this morning. It's so refreshing even in my soul to preach it again. Lord, I thank you that God, it is in you and you alone that we can put our faith in and know that we will receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Father, we, we can step out of all the pressures and anxiety and fear and doubt that this world tries to throw at us to try to earn, to be better, to compete. When Jesus Christ says it is by grace you've been saved, not of your works. I love you. You are mine. So Lord, I don't know what you're doing today in the hearts of each person here, but I do pray that as your Holy Spirit is stirring and giving a prompting, we would not ignore it, that we would not harden our hearts to it, that today would be the day of sanctification and today would be the day of salvation. Oh Lord, help us because it is true. You are worth it all. You deserve it all. And so Lord, I pray, come, come, and lead us now through this last song that it would be sung as an anthem over our lives for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray.